0: deuteronomy 18 we're going to be in verses 15 to 19 primarily um, drawing near to a holy god is the is the title the thought that the lord has for us but um if you're like me to just drop into the Old Testament, um, I, need, I need to get oriented, I need help, I'm, I'm the dad that used to ask my kids, you know, which was first, Vikings or Cowboys and Indians? So you know, when you just drop into this, you need to know, okay, what's, what's going on? As we jump in, as we read this passage, where are we, what's happened? So let me give you a few of the things that have happened. This is not everything, this is not, you know, precise order, but it's some of the major uh, events that have taken place. Um, As we as we will read uh, by this point Joseph had long since uh, been sold into slavery by his brothers right Midianite traders take him into Egypt in Egypt uh, there the Lord uh, blesses them preserves them as a family Uh, though it was meant for evil the Lord uses it for wonderful good uh, both for the people of Israel and for the Egyptians. Joseph had since passed from the scene. He had died and the scripture tells us there arose a Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph. And uh, the Israelites spent 400 years in bondage, in uh, difficult slavery and labor in Egypt. Now at the Lord's urging, the Lord had uh, used Moses, raised him up, and at the Passover, delivers his people from that cruel bondage out of Egypt into uh, the wilderness. and. and they had since, being in the wilderness, they encountered the Lord's presence. Now, if you'll remember Moses, when he first received his call from the Lord, right? he saw a bush that burned and was not consumed. And on their journey out of Egypt and into the Promised Land, the people encounter the Lord uh, descending on a mountain uh, in in amazing fire and glory, and again they, they see a mountain that is burned, but it isn't consumed right they They both have uh, this uh, holy ground moment as the Lord is bringing them and uh, so here um, so the twelve spies also have already gone in to spy out the land, come back with a you know, almost a completely faithless report in spite of all that the Lord had promised that he was intent to do for and through them, they came back and have now wandered in the wilderness. And so Deuteronomy is uh, kind of a, a farewell series of messages from Moses to the people. In Deuteronomy 6, Moses reminds the people that, listen, the Lord brought you out that he might bring you in. And it, with the way their journey had gone, it would be easy for them to, to lose hope of that, to lose sight of that, and uh, encouragement for us, right? The he who calls is faithful. Who also will do it, right? So the Lord is bringing them out, and as Moses is uh, making these addresses here in Deuteronomy 18, again we're going to look at uh, 15 through 19. But I want us to just take a minute and look first at the verses immediately preceding, because I think they help to frame what the Lord proclaims here. It's an amazing prophecy that um, that we're still experiencing, you know, the the incredible impact of in our day. Um, so if you look in uh, Deuteronomy. 18, starting in verse 9 I won't read all of it but it basically charges the Israelites that when they are brought into the land that they are not to fall into the practices and the pursuits of those around them they're not to look to understand uh, their place and their provision and their supply from all of the really broken and fallen ways that the people in the land uh, had had been used to right not not following these abominations none who Uh, pass their children through the fire or practice witchcraft or soothsaying right and so the Lord is calling them to be a unique group of people among the lost and um, and that's a challenge we're going to see that so idolatry as they had come out of Egypt if you remember uh, the Lord had judged through the plagues, idolatry in Egypt. And now you're hearing the Lord proclaim that in the place that he's taking them to, he's going to deal with idolatry firmly again. And his people were not to be those people, not to be people of idolatry. How vital it is. Um, And again, when you look at this this introductory passage right before uh, verse 15, you really see uh, it's a pathetic Summary. It's a it's a description of people who don't know their maker and are just casting about to try to find purpose in any way that they can, and it's 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 really heartbreaking. It's heartrending. Think of the Lord, you know, having to look on his own creation and seeing people who literally don't know where to look or what to look for, and this is this this is the state of their lostness. You know, um, in in particular, you know, it speaks of. Um, yeah, wizards who peep and mutter, you know, just horrible ways to, um, to try to deal with uh, understanding. And, um, you know, one of the ways in particular that, uh, that they try to, to hear this is, um, forgive me, I lost my, my place, um, they were divination, okay? So divination was one of the things uh, that they would look to or omens, the reading of omens. And so, you know, how sad for the Lord to look on people who he loves lost though they are and see them you know literally stirring around animal entrails with a stick trying to find some hope for tomorrow right because that's what that's what that divination or the pursuit of omens was practiced all the way through roman times you know it's a horror and so the lord clearly he doesn't want this for his people he doesn't want it So, it's, it's a reminder to us, it's a powerful reminder um, that, that we need to be led by his power, right? Just like his people coming out of Egypt are called to be completely different, we're called to be completely different, right, among the people whom we sojourn. We're not called to take our direction, uh, to, to set our sights on, our hopes in the things that the people who are lost around us are looking to, right? We, we are a called out people as well. Okay, so. Remember, um, you know, the Lord has revealed much about himself to the people of Israel, both about who he is and both about what he's called them to. But what, he's, uh, what the Lord is about to speak now in this context, in this context of don't follow the practices of the people there, what he's about to declare um, is a greater need that, that, that they are not seeing yet, that they don't understand. And I want us to remember that just knowing who the Lord is by encountering him in his word, or just knowing what he's asked us to be and do, that alone doesn't set us in right standing before him. Okay, read, read with me, if you will, uh, Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19. This is Moses speaking prophetically to the people. He, he declares, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. According to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, the Lord speaks to Moses, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I command him, and it shall be that whosoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. So we hear immediately here of a coming one who only speaks the words that the Father will give and who speaks all the words that the Father will give. And and this is spoken in the context of a, a pretty ominous you know, forecast for, for disobedience, for disbelief, for uh, discounting all the Lord's doing. Now, listen, I want us to know this isn't the Lord's plan B or C. The Lord isn't scrambling to, you know, keep adjusting, you know, his redemptive purpose just slightly ahead of the failures of, of Israel. No, this is, this is his progressive revelation of the lamb slain from the foundation. Right? This is always what he had been planning and purposing, and he's leading his people into that place where they'll recognize their their incredible need. And and again, to be clear, these were um, the Israelites were already participants, right? Enjoying the blessings of some of the covenants the Lord had provided, both the Abrahamic and the Mosaic covenants, right? So they they had um, relationship by faith, they had provision or a covering for sin that had been provided, but but it's made, and this is what I really want us to get. It's made so clear here that more was needed. And more was coming. And, and you might ask why. Like why Lord? Why is more needed? Well listen. To enable us to know the Lord deeply enough. And to enable us to fully walk with him. In the midst of the lost he's sending us to. Right? We need uh, a, fuller, a fuller understanding. A fuller experience with him. Right? We need more than just knowing who he is. And again. In this prophecy in this proclamation the people themselves declare you know there's something about the what they saw on Horeb that changed them right it it was it was too much this promise of, of the Lord raising up another it's tied directly to that experience and and throughout Exodus and in Deuteronomy and then again later in Hebrews 12 like we hear the very simple observation that our God is a consuming fire Right? It's not what he chooses to do, but that's the reality of his full presence and glory when we are near him. The, the result is, is consumption, right? Earlier in Deuteronomy, uh, Moses recounts to the people that time. He's kind of recapping it for him and reminding them of what that experience was like. In Deuteronomy 5, um, starting in verse 23, he says, When you heard the voice out of the darkness while the mountain was blazing, With fire, all the heads of your tribes and elders approached me, and you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness. We've heard his voice out of the fire. Today we've seen that a man can live even if God speaks with him. But now, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us, and we will die if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer. For who of all flesh has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the fire as we have and survived? So then they say to Moses, go near and listen to all that the Lord our God says, and then you can tell us everything the Lord our God tells you. We will listen and obey. And you know, in the verse immediately after that, the Lord himself says, if only they had such a heart to fear me. Right? Good good words, but... You know, spoiler alert, if you read ahead the history of of the people that the Lord is leading, it doesn't work that way for them, it doesn't work well. So we see Moses walking face to face with the Father, but the people drawing back, the people desiring instead a, a, a more distant relationship. Now listen, I've not been to Horeb, I've not experienced anything like Sinai, never met anybody that has, but but I will say it is vital that we, that we have a holy ground experience, that, that we um, first experience fully our inadequacy before a holy God, um, our inability to stand in his presence. It has to mark us deeply. Um, it has to change us. There has to be that utter humbling in his sight uh, before we can move forward. And, and make no mistake, our flesh... Rages against it, right? We, we resist it. I remember my own coming to the Lord, that there was a reluctance to embrace what was for my good. But we're told humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and, and he will lift us up. So the people saw, they recognized that Moses could stand before the Lord, but they didn't think they could. And again, if you read the story, they, they weren't wrong. They weren't. Maybe that describes you tonight, sitting here or, or listening. Maybe maybe you've never really considered yourself in in the full light of his glory. Maybe you've never worked through the reality of the weight of his holiness and what that means for you. I'll invite you now, right, tonight. Don't even wait till the end. Begin to bring your heart, yourself, uh, your lack, whatever the horror of who you've been is, bring that to him come near to him and and, and you'll see you'll meet uh, a greater than Moses. Well listen, for those of us who are in Christ, you know, oddly, so sadly, in it so often it seems like we can uh, lose sight of his utter holiness. Now I'm not saying that as as spirit-filled believers we should cower in his presence, but somehow Enjoying grace over a period of time we can we can grow um, Distant from the reality of who he is, you know, and and we have to remind ourselves this reminds us um, You know, we have to hearken back to that scene because the Lord hasn't changed his his character his nature hasn't changed what's changed Is another prophet who's been sent that's that's why we can draw near that's what's changed for us but who he is hasn't changed and um you know, maybe, maybe some of us have, at times, become overly comfortable or overly familiar with who he is, with all he is. And, and we need to hearken back. We need to remember. Listen, this, um, this passage reminds us that, especially for those who are, are far off, uh, who, or who are maybe still in their sin, or still uh, keeping a distance from the Lord, um, it's actually a, a, a really sane thing to do. Uh, to fear that presence, right, as, as the people of Israel do here. It's, it's the, the Lord himself says in this passage, what they've said is good. Uh, that's kind of strange, but he said it's good, and then he makes provision uh, to meet the need of those who, who won't come, who can't draw near. Listen, Jesus told us in, in John chapter 3, everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. And so that's, that's just the truth that to, uh, to hear directly from the Lord, to um, set our fallen nature near to his beauty and glory, it's devastating. It is devastating. So that hiding is the right thing. And again, that's not because the Lord is unkind. It's not because he's harsh. Um, it's not because he's vengeful. It's just because he is a consuming fire. That's the, that's the result of being near him he dwells in in unapproachable light and so no no disobedience or depravity or selfishness can endure being in his presence and and we know so well that he turns his face from the sun on the cross why because my sin is on him right because that that can't be in his presence and so the cry of the messiah of forsakenness is because of this it's because it can't be in his presence and so it's dealt with it's punished fully that we might draw near and again that that's the message of the scripture we see it in the garden right as soon as there is sin there is fear and hiding right we see it here in horeb and and as we read ahead listen i don't want to it's hard to bridge this much time but when the Lord brings things to a conclusion, when his grace and mercy for a lost planet has run its course, when so much of his prophetic promise to shake people awake has, has gone past, and, and this, is, this is the season that we're living in, but when that has gone past, listen, there is a hiding to come for those who still resist. Revelation chapter six says, starting in, in verse 15, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Right? And so so most of us spent time um, prior to knowing the Lord, even if you were raised in a godly family, you, you spent time hiding from the reality of his holiness. Ch- thinking, maybe if I choose to never really find out about him, or if I just don't think about it, it'll all you know, work out okay. And by his grace, he's penetrated that for, for those of us who believe. He's made himself known. But listen, there's other hiding. That can be done, and and sadly, the history of the people of Israel is so filled with hiding in plain sight, right? A, a hiding in uh, religion, a hiding in the trappings that the Lord has allowed for them, and yet never really uh, drawing near, right? He speaks through the prophets so often of his people that you draw near with your lips, but your heart is. Is far from me. And so, you know, throughout the history of his people, almost never are they accused of leaving the religious activity, of failing to do the things, but their distance from the one who's called them, who set them apart to reach a lost planet, their distance is astounding. It really is. You, you, maybe you'll recall when uh, King, young King Josiah comes to power as he starts the cleanup efforts to put things back together. It, the scripture says, and it, you, know, you read it once and you read it again, it says that he f- his workers found the book of the law in the temple. Right? We, we lost the revelation of the Lord in, at ground zero, at the very place where we gather to worship him. And, and we could say, well, how could that happen? Well. Look around, how, how could that happen, right? Because we can hide in plain sight. We can, we can choose to stay far from the Lord, do the things that we know are related to him without relating to him, right? The Lord sees that, that it's good uh, what the people have spoken. It's good not to draw near to holiness just in our flesh, but he's making a provision to draw them near, right? Jesus Jesus' own assessment of the, the religious condition of the Jewish people as he enters the scene, as he ministers, not flattering. Not flattering at all. Um, you know, he found uh, in so many ways just true religion. You know, he, he accuses correctly, you tithe of mint and cumin, but you ignore the weight of your measures. What are we doing? Well, we're, we're doing some of the things, but not the, not the things that really require that we be totally transformed. In who we are. Uh, in Matthew 23 Jesus speaks to the multitudes and to his disciples saying the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses seat. therefore whatever they tell you to observe that observe and do right because the things that the Lord had showed them on Horeb the things that he had imparted to Moses the ways they were called to live not wrong those aren't in question those are real and true right so do those things that they say but do not do according to their works for they say and do not do for for they bind heavy burdens hard to bear but themselves won't move with one of their fingers right so this is this is the religious condition of the people of god in the land of promise doesn't seem like they have enough and and again this is this is the reality of the power of that religious pull our flesh can have right At, The truth is, it's easier to live that way. We probably prefer it. But the Lord doesn't want to leave us in that, none of us. And so the very people that he's presented, you know, this promise of a greater prophet than Moses, you know, end up hiding from his arrival and denying his existence, as we're going to see. And, And... just to jump back to, to us today, you know, the Lord's commitment to us, his bride, the bride of Christ, is still one of complete holiness, right? He proclaims that he will purify us, that he will present us to himself holy and blameless, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. He, he will accomplish his desire to make us presentable in his sight and to make us authentic to a lost world, right? As ambassadors, what, what profit is it? to have ambassadors who don't look like the country they're from but look like the place they've been sent, right? And so the Lord is going to purify. He's going to work in us. He's going to impress on us that character that he's imparting through the Holy Spirit, right? This is what he wants. It's the work he's doing. So again, we we just have to stay clear as the body of Messiah that it's the body of Christ that grace doesn't make it so that sin doesn't matter no it matters it fully matters but the difference now for us is that our sin can be buried in him right so that we can continue face to face with the father so so let's look um let's look at this promise that the lord makes to raise up another prophet you know how is it that jesus was raised up what is it that's being spoken of what needed to happen in order for the people to see and to hear and and listen the prophets in the old testament are completely filled you know with instances and examples of all the lord did to make known the coming of this greater than Moses, right? Jesus says, lo, in the volume of the book it is written of me. It's very, very clear. Well, the word that's used here in Hebrew to raise up is is the word kum. um, And it simply means to establish or to set forth or to uh, confirm. It's it's connected directly to uh, the word that Jesus uses in Aramaic when he takes a dead girl by the hand and speaks to her talitha kumi, right? Little girl, arise. So this is this is the proclamation of the Father that I will cause to arise to be known to the people to have life a greater than Moses. So without going into all that the the incarnation implies, because there's so much there, but but Jesus comes fully man, right? Just as Moses had to be born, Jesus is is born. Uh, fully man and submits himself to growing in wisdom and stature and in favor with with God and man. The Lord brings him in and allows him to grow. And then we know that he steps into uh, public ministry in a moment that the Father set forth, right, a perfectly timed moment. He so often speaks of what his time is and isn't and when he's to move forward. It's because the Father is creating uh, a situation to, to make known to his people this greater than Moses. And again, his, um, the timing of his final ascent into Jerusalem uh, before the Passover uh, is worked out. His, his notoriety among the people is raised as he continues to do the things that no man's ever done, including Moses, right? As he raises from the dead, as he gives sight to one born blind, as he touches and heals and cleanses lepers and restores hearing, right? Um, as he raises the dead and as he rebukes the hypocrisy of the, of the Jewish leaders of his day. Right, his notoriety, his, his fame was everywhere. Um, so much so that by the time of the last Passover, after, uh, leading up to his, uh, his entry, you know, his triumphal entry, the, all the people are proclaiming Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes, save now. Right? So everybody knows. He's made known to everybody, to the Jewish leaders, the Jewish common people, and to the Romans. So, he, so he's set on the scene, he is brought into notoriety, and then how is he lifted up? He's lifted up in crucifixion, just as he prophesies himself that if I be lifted up, what? I, I will draw all men to myself, right? This is the, this is the prophet, like Moses, that's, that's being raised up. Then he's raised up from the grave, right? We, we rejoice so often over that reality, but it's a, it's a key part of the Lord making clear to these people that, that this prophet is not just like Moses. He's raised up from the grave for 40 days. He proclaims the kingdom to his disciples, speaks life to them. And then, then he ascends. He's raised up from the earth. Right? returning to his place with the Father on the right hand. So this is the, just the beginning of his, his being raised up prophetically, practically his life in the land of promise. So the Lord says he will raise him up, and he says he will raise up a prophet. Well, it's fair to ask, in what way is he a prophet? Is he a prophet? Well, Jesus fills that description completely in his life and in his ministry, he both forth tells and he foretells, right? He, he proclaims who the Lord is and what he is doing, his heart to the people and how he is at work. He proclaims that everywhere and he, and he also forth tells, right? In, in many places, in Matthew, he declares, the day is coming. Right? When one stone won't stand against another and, and he speaks to uh, the Samaritan woman and tells her there's a day coming when you won't worship here. Where, where you worship won't matter. You'll worship in spirit. He, he proclaims things that are not yet. Right, Clearly a prophet. And, and eyewitness accounts bear, you know, bear this out. Obviously Mark 8, Jesus and his disciples went out of the towns of Caesarea Philippi And on the road, he asks his disciples, saying to them, who do men say that I am? And so they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. So at least the the masses are considering, they recognize that he's at least a a prophet. Later in uh, Matthew 11, when John the Baptist is in prison, he hears of the works of Christ, and he sends two of his disciples, and says to him, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And Jesus answers and said to them, and, and you know the answer, go and tell John the things that you see and hear. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who's not offended at me. Right, and, and Peter in, uh, in Acts chapter three, and the whole chapter is such an amazing account, but in, in 3.22, Peter says, for Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear the prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow as many as have spoken have also foretold these days. Right, so it's it's a prophetic uh, fulfillment, just amazing. So, of course, Jesus is a prophet, a, a greater prophet that's been raised up, and and then we have this unique description that he'll be a prophet like me. That's Moses speaking. Well, in what ways is Moses or is Jesus a prophet like Moses? Well, you know, the better the better understanding really is in what ways did Moses prefigure the ministry of Jesus, right? Because Jesus is clearly the greater, right? And again, this is this is important that this is what's used here as a singular pronoun that's referenced. It's not talking about just the Lord will raise up a prophet, because we know the Lord raised up a host of prophets to minister to his people, to carry them along, to preserve their place, and, and to provide for the coming of the Messiah, right? But, but this is not talking about Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Daniel or Hosea. This is, they, they were prophets. They were faithful men who proclaimed. But listen, when you read them, you would not come to the conclusion that these prophets, the, the Israelites heard, right? They, they didn't listen. Listening to the prophets, not you know, Israel's long suit, sadly. And so, so we're not to confuse the prophet that's spoken of here as one of the prophets, but a different prophet, a completely pro- different prophet, but one that was similar to Moses. Listen, at the end of, um, at the end of Deuteronomy, uh, after Moses actually passes, there's a few chapters that are appended, the scholars believe, by Joshua after Moses leaves the scene. And in, in one of them, already, Joshua it speaks it says but since then since his passing there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face right so this is this is a different prophet and one whom who, who will have a relationship that's unique the Holy Spirit leads the the author of Hebrews to declare that God at various times and in various ways spoke in time past, to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. Right. So, so what are some of the ways that uh, that this prophet is is like Moses? Well, both are Jewish men. Both Moses and Jesus are Jewish men. Okay, it's okay to say duh, but. You know, Jesus himself proclaims that salvation is of the Jews, right? So that shouldn't surprise us. He's working through the people. He's called to himself to purify, to reach a lost planet. Of course, that's where this prophet will come from. Moses, in Moses' case, he's a a man who is called to bring God's freedom and release from that earthly slavery and bondage, right? And, And to teach the people the beginnings of how to walk with the Lord, how to walk with a holy God, how to walk corporately. In Jesus, you know, he addresses the far greater need. He purchases our freedom from slavery to, to our sinful flesh and our slavery from the enemy of our souls. Right? The very one who's held fallen men captive to do his will. Right? That's one way that that they're similar. Also, Moses and Jesus were both spared death as infants. Now, this isn't, you know, the Jewish people weren't called to just look for similarities in people who were born and lived because wouldn't that be, you know, interesting? No, Why? the reason they were both spared death is because, as as we've seen so frequently as Troy's leading us through Genesis, because the enemy is so consistently looking to exterminate the seed, to to disrupt the the holy line, to prevent the Lord's proclamations from coming to pass, to 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 curse with barrenness those who were called to, to give birth so that the redemption would come to pass. So it shouldn't surprise us at all. They're, they're both pillars of the Lord's plan of redemption. Of course the enemy sought to do that. And we know in Moses' case that there was a, a decree throughout the land that the Israelites who were um, reproducing far too quickly, were to, they were charged with putting their little ones to death. Hebrews 11 says by faith Moses when he was born was hidden 3 months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. And similarly Jesus birth like that prophet Moses was contested and uh, he he is spared death, right? As the magi come on the scene and they bring gifts. Uh, Matthew tells us in Matthew 2 um that after they deliver their their gifts of worship to to the child and the family, these two at this time, it says, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they depart for their own country another way. And when they leave, the next verse says, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, out of Egypt I will call my son. And I just love the these moments of the Lord's sovereignty where the very thing the enemy has purposed to destroy, prevent, or, or bring to a close, the Lord demonstrates his power by causing that to be actually a fulfillment of what he had already declared. Right? That, that should so encourage us. No weapon formed against us will prosper when when our focus is the salvation that the Lord has called us to share. Right? The Lord is at work. And listen, I'll, I'll just say here that since the effort to prevent Messiah's arrival has failed, please know that the enemy's plan has shifted to merely obscuring and blinding all men from the knowledge of the truth. But, but I would share with you, particularly the Jewish people. right? There, there's a, a darkness and a blindness that he is perpetrating as he seeks to keep them from knowing the Messiah. Okay. Another way that um, Moses and Jesus are like as their surrendered lives, right? They both renounced a life of comfort and privilege, royalty. Right? Moses, as he matures, Hebrews 11 tells us by faith, when he came of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. Moses willingly suffered to be a part of the Lord's plan, and Jesus, we know, ta- you know, how much greater was His condescension to come down. Right? Moses traded royalty to hang out with some, you know, beaten down slaves, you know, some some worn out, um, weary servants. Jesus, how much? How much more has He left to tabernacle among us? Right? To to leave the. I mean we can't comprehend what it was for him to leave the blessing, the rightness, the righteousness of being an active part of the godhead in the way that he enjoyed in the father's presence. We can't comprehend what it was for him to leave that to make salvation possible for us, right? So they they sacrificed so much and we have to take note that, you know, following Jesus call is going to cost, isn't it? You know, our, and I, I wonder, for me, maybe for, for some of you, are we willing to endure that shame? Are we willing to endure rejection from our culture? Are we willing uh, to pay the cost? You know, For Moses, it wasn't you know, just theoretical. It wasn't, like, it wasn't like, oh, I'll give up the American dream. I guess I'll never have those. No, Moses was wealthy. He was powerful. He did enjoy all that privilege, and he left it. And so again, in order to be a part of the Lord's plan to redeem, that's what we're going to be called to. And again, both uh, initially experienced rejection as well from the very people they were sent to deliver. Uh, you know, why is that? That, that? that those drowning in sin are so resistant uh, to the salvation that sent them. You know, Moses' rejection partly on him as he's been stirred by the Lord to to deliver, to be available for the Lord, to use him to deliver, but he sets about that in his own flesh, right? And we we know the story. He sees the, the Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, and he steps in and takes action and kills the Egyptian, hides him in the sand, having looked left and right, but not up. He buries him, and then the next day, as he seeks to be a peacemaker between two Hebrew brethren, you know, they're alarmed at him and say, "Who who made you, you know, Lord over us? Who made you a prince and a judge over us?" So, so they reject that um, initially, and you know Moses, in his fear, then has to spend time on the backside of the desert. Right? We know that. So he delayed the Lord's plan. But later, in his in his leading of the people, number sixteen, the rebellion of Korah, um, just so tragic, and I, I want us to see that. You know, um, well, the, the rebellion centers around those who had not yet fully experienced the blessings that they had been promised. They hadn't come fully into the understanding of where the Lord was taking them and all that was there began to question everything. And they get so confused, it says that they, they actually declare Egypt a land of milk and honey. Right, that—that's how twisted they are in their understanding of what the Lord's doing, and Moses is charged with trying to lead that. And you know, the the rebellion is horrific, such that the Lord has to open the ground and swallow humans alive, to put an end to it. Right. So, so a rejection in in trying to bring this deliverance. Well, you know, how compared to Jesus, you know, Moses' experience of rejection is slight. And uh, you know, as I as I read this, I want you to hear again that there's no heart of Uh, frustration with the the history of the Jewish people in this at all but we just need to see that this is how great the Lord's love for them is in spite of this he's going to redeem. Right, John chapter 1 John summarizes the Messiah's arrival, the greater Moses's arrival. He came unto his own his own creation, his own people, but his own did not receive him. In fact the, the psalmist had earlier prophesied that the stone that the builders rejected would be the chief cornerstone, but there's a rejection that the Father saw coming. And if you were to summarize, if I could summarize the the attitudes, the reaction of of the Jewish religious leadership and the people as Jesus ministers among them, what do they say? They say, we don't like how you choose to teach. We don't like the things that you say of yourself or of the Father. And especially of us, we reject those you associate with, the lepers, the harlots, the tax collectors and zealots, and, and, and those uneducated men. We disdain them. We expel those that you choose to heal from our fellowship. We criticize your demonstration of the Father's love when you display it. We reject the very day of the week that you choose to bring blessing and wholeness into the life of the broken. Ultimately, we despise how much we stand to lose if we were to follow you. We think you missed the point and should have overthrown Rome. Just picture Jesus being examined by the high priest, right? At the same moment that throughout the city of Jerusalem, lambs are being inspected for the Passover sacrifice, the spotless lamb is being inspected by the high priest, and he's rejected. In Luke 19, Jesus shares a parable. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem, and because they thought the kingdom of God, um, because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore, he said, "A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants." Delivered to them ten minas and said to them, do business till, till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. Right? Rejection. At, at his public trial, they clamored for the, the release of an insurrectionist over the Prince of Peace. And they declare, let his blood be on us and our children. In John 5, Jesus says, do not think I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. So the very one that they think they're putting their trust in, they don't even believe what he's proclaimed. In, uh, and I won't read it here, Acts chapter 7, Stephen's sermon, he preaches himself to death, right? It's ultimately just another, it's another rejection of Jesus, Christ in him. But as he's preaching, he, he proclaims and he links the reality of the Jewish people's rejection of Moses and the Jewish people's rejection of the greater Moses, right? This, this is that Moses, the one that they rejected, who said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, him you shall hear. And so I, I wonder, for me, as I hope to minister on behalf of the Lord in any capacity or for you, am, am I understanding that rejection is, is a part of it? Am I willing to suffer rejection? Do I have some sort of confusion that, that my service to him is, is to benefit me? It's to, to gather accolade or to uh, be stroked or encouraged by the people for gifting or That's not what Jesus did. That's not what Moses did. They served at great cost, those who rejected them. In Isaiah 62, the Lord proclaims, I've stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts. Now listen, again, I I absolutely want us to walk away very clear on this, that in spite of all the willful ignorance, the rejection of both Moses and Jesus, that the Father is fully committed to do exactly what he said he was going to do. Jesus would come, and he will be heard. Right? Isaiah 46, the Lord says of himself, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. So, just a quick summary of how they, were, um, how they were used of the Lord similarly. Moses witnessed the Father's provision of manna from heaven, and the greater Moses, Jesus, comes to present himself for us, the bread of life. The Lord uses Moses to draw water from a rock and meet Israel's immediate need, and Jesus offers himself the living water to quench the thirst of any who will come to him. Right, all those who seek to, to come. Moses stood between the people and God to minister. Um, and Jesus comes and becomes the sacrifice that allows us to walk with a holy God face to face. So clearly Jesus is that greater Moses. But listen, the, the most challenging part of the verse is uh, the declaration from the father, him you will hear. The Father restates that expectation in in Matthew um, 17. It's also in Mark's account at the transfiguration. Jesus takes some Jewish men up onto Mount Hermon, and he's transfigured before them. The scripture tells us his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses and Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Right? Peter Peter stumbles into another holy ground moment here. Right? As he's with Jesus, there's the ability to be in the presence of the Lord, but... But it's because of Jesus. It's not because of Peter. Um, and, and Jesus, when that is spoken, it says the disciples heard it. They fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. And Jesus touches them and says, Arise and do not be afraid. And again, that, that's, that's the heart of the message to us. Because of the greater Moses, you know, we can draw near to a holy God and not be afraid. We can't bring sin. We can't continue to drag things that are unrighteous. But we can bring them to Jesus continually, right? And he will will cleanse. He will make it so that we can continue um, face to face with the Father so that we can be changed and so that we can reach the lost who he's bringing us to. Uh, You'll remember um, Thomas says to the Lord, Lord, as he's talked about his departure Lord, we don't know where you're going and how, how we can get there. We don't know the way. And Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, he continues, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. And this is the, this is the work of that greater Moses. So let me just end with this. You know, have the, have the Jewish people heard him? Well, yes and mostly no. Right? I, I don't know. I, I have a Jewish father. you know. By God's grace, I've heard the greater Moses. My father hasn't. Maybe some of you have a, have a Jewish background. I don't know. Um, but this prophecy is such an anchor of hope uh, and faith for us that we know that this is what he will do. He is faithful to accomplish all he's purposed, and it's yet ahead. Listen, we know that you know, almost every believer in, in the early church were were Jewish. And at Pentecost, three thousand are added. And then by the time Paul ends up speaking to the to the um, believing elders in Jerusalem in Acts twenty-one, he Paul tells of all that the Lord had done through him uh, to reach the Gentiles, and they rejoice. And then it says, And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who believed. And the, the word myriads I can't tell you how many zeros it is, but it's no small number right so the, so yes there are there are Jewish men and women who have embraced the greater Moses absolutely today and and there's always been a remnant. the Lord's never failed to keep for himself a righteous remnant who have responded to his call there's There's probably thirty thousand uh self identifying followers of Jesus in Israel today Jewish followers of Jesus that's astounding when when the nation was founded in 1948 there were less than a dozen right so the Lord is at work it's it's an amazing thing there's probably 350,000 worldwide right but the Lord is not done and let me uh, let me just close this in prayer this is um, this is a work the the Lord wants to continue doing he wants to continue doing it through us certainly he wants to bring Jew and Gentile alike uh, but I, I just want to lead us in prayer. The worship team could come up. I want to lead us in prayer that, um, that the Lord would do this work in our midst, that we could, that we could call on these promises of him to uh, reach those who he's proclaimed he will reach. Right? That it's, it's, a, it's a proclaimed time that is coming. It's a work that he's doing, and uh, I want to be a part of it. I want to see him do it here. So pray with me, if you will. Father, we um, are just humbled by uh, the, the scope of all that you're about, Lord. Uh, your power, uh, your sovereignty, your love, Lord, your plan uh, to call out for yourself a people and uh, to bring the lost to yourself, Lord, and that you would use uh, any of us in that capacity, Lord, is overwhelming. Lord, we, we want to Uh, Fully walk with you we want to see you for who you are Lord holy and lifted up Lord and yet we don't want to fear We want to draw near We want to be changed Lord pray that you'd continue to work in each of us Lord make us uh, useful vessels in that work Lord and and we want to rejoice Lord in faith and in hope that uh, that you will make yourself known to Jew and to Gentile alike, Lord. And use us in that. Lord, we, we ask that you would begin to make that um, something we get to witness here as a, as a local fellowship, that you give opportunity and that you would just touch hearts, Lord, and bring uh, those who need to see the greater Moses to you, Lord. Open eyes, open hearts, work in power. Father, we, uh, we recognize that you've declared that uh, this faith you've given us, the filling of the Holy Spirit you've given us, the relationship you've provided us face-to-face with you is, is to provoke uh, Jewish people to jealousy, Lord. Let that be true of us, Lord. Let us so know you, so reflect you, so enjoy, and so boldly proclaim you, Lord, that there would be a jealousy that draws. Lord, we love you. We just entrust this work to you in that name of Jesus, Lord. Thank you for it.